This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So great to have you folks here today, and, and we're going to be talking about a, a forgiveness again, continuing on for our forgiveness series. This is part of a five-part series, and this week, please say it all together, we are working at forgiving others. How do we, how do, we do that? And you know, I had the perfect sermon set up for you. All ready to go. I work about a couple weeks ahead, getting everything just totally finalized. And then Las Vegas happens. And so out went that sermon. In comes what today's message is going to be, which is going to be a combination of a couple of things. It's going to be looking at kind of this, this, this light tier or lighter tier of forgiving others. Forgiving that person who cuts you off in traffic. Forgiving that person who takes your parking spot in Wawa when you're trying to get coffee on Sunday morning. Just saying. Those kinds of lighter forgiveness, very important, very important to learn to forgive there. And then how do we shift into that higher level? Because I, I think it's just like, I'm, I want to say this real cautiously. Some of you are coming in here with, with, with wounds, points of pain, which we talked about last year. It's, it's definitely not for me as a pastor to tell anyone what they need to do about forgiveness. I think about families who lost people in Las Vegas. It's not for a pastor to say, you must forgive the shooter. It is for the pastor to say, hey, there's a conversation here. A conversation around love and connection. Forgiveness in different forms. How that might look like for you. How that might look like for me. Honoring that the two might be different. But understanding there's a journey there. And it's a journey without necessarily neat edges. I want to say that. But it's a journey where maybe we can learn to hold things that feel so far apart, where we can learn to hold them together. For the next 30 minutes, are you willing to take that journey with me? Yeah. Thank you. So, you know, I want to start out with this idea. You know, the Bible is filled with this word, repentance, which is the Greek word metanoia. Again, I love words. I've said this before that it's sort of fun to pronounce like bubbles. So could we say metanoia together? Metanoia. metanoia. That's your word for the week. Bust that out at a cocktail party to impress somebody. Metanoia is the word for repentance. Now, when we tend to think of repentance, we tend to think of it in really dark terms. You know, uh, that repentance is somehow about handing me a whip and letting me beat myself up about it because I have to do that somehow to be pleasing to God, to let him know how much I realize what an awful wretch I am. But there's a shift that has to take place, and it goes actually back to this word. The word metanoia, and actually the word repentance, means to rethink, to turn your thinking around. Literally, that's what it means means I, I, I saw the world this way, and now I need to start to see the world that way. Because that'll actually be a much healthier place to be. And, and metanoia can happen all over the place. All over the place. Just a little silly example. You know, I feel like God's constantly planting little repentant seeds, asking us to rethink. Uh, down in Kensington, down at St. Francis Inn, this past week, 
And, uh, and you know, there's, there's a man there, obviously homeless, obviously addicted, very nice fellow though, again, and that's getting me to rethink so much of that stuff. And I'm, I'm talking to this young man, I ask him, hey, what's the good word this week? And he gave me a big, sincere, authentic smile. And he went, God. He knew what the right answer is for a pastor. So he said, God. And then I, I turn and I walk away from the door and he's like, wait, 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 one more good word. And he looks at me, little pregnant pause, and he goes, Eagles. And then he does the Eagles cheer. Those are little repentance moments too, right? Where, where, where we're just asked to just shift our perspective. And, and, and maybe that's what today can be, just shifting your perspective, however gently, in ways that I really do believe that God is, is calling us to. Now, in a minute, Rebecca's going to come out and we're going to do a little dialogue here so you can see how that light part is. But as we look at that light part of repentance, you know, we always make up stories about each other. I love this little New Yorker cartoon. I've never forgiven him for that thing I made up in my head. (laughs) That's what we do. We make up stories all the time. And so what's a real good way just to like, again, we're talking the light level, then we're going to go deep at the light level to maybe address some of that. So I'd ask Rebecca to come out. She's going to sit. Please give her a warm round of applause, folks. So I want to look at a simple, simple way to handle this. And it deals with a number of questions here. Is it true? Can you absolutely know it's true? How do you react? What happens when you believe that it's true or that thought? And what would I be without that thought? This is from Byron Katie. Four simple questions that kind of can poke a hole in our story. And Rebecca has been volunteered by me to actually offer, offer a few thoughts. And uh, so, so what I want to do is I'm going to walk her through this. We have not practiced this, right? So it's not going to be as smooth a harmony as you saw up here with the band. But, but, <laughs> but there'll, be, there'll be some value in it. There'll be some value in it. So you ready, Rebecca? Sure. All right. So I want you to share what, what we were talking about. You know, something where it's like, oh, this is a story I'm starting to create in my head. This is a big point of tension for me. <gasps> I'm having a hard time. Maybe forgiveness could show up. Don't worry about that part yet. But just, <laughs> get, just to get us started. Okay. Um, all right. So I work in an extremely competitive and territorial environment. Um, we are all pushing and fighting and, and trying to get to progress. Um, we think we're working together. Um, sometimes we're not. And there is, <laughs> let me bear this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there is, there is a, an individual that I work with that, um, I've come to feel like I'm being either actively suppressed or subverted. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm constantly second guessing, uh, but I'm, I'm sure that there's little, little moments, little pokes, little digs that make me stop and go, wait, wait, wait. I'm being pushed. I'm being sat on right now. Good. Good. So how many of us have that experience at work? Angela, if you raise your hand, you're in trouble. You know, like, like we, we can all have that experience at work or we've had it somewhere along the line. So let's run through this, Rebecca. Okay. All right. So first off, this thought that you're, you're constantly being subverted and you used another word. Uh, suppressed. Suppressed. Okay. Uh, subverted and suppressed. Like I know that she's subverting and suppressing me. Mm-hmm. Is that statement true? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Good. Can you absolutely 100% for sure know that it's true? 
<laughs> no. No. <laughs> no, I can't. I mean, no, I can't know for 100% that it's true. You can't know for 100% that it's true. And that's, that's, folks, for those who like modern lingo, that's known as a boundary, that we never know exactly why another person is doing something despite the fact that we think we do. The next one, how do you react? What happens when you believe that thought that you are being subverted and suppressed? Um, well, um, I'm guarded. Great. I'm cautious. I'm nervous. I spend a lot of time checking, double-checking, triple-checking what was said, rethinking conversations, um, guarding myself from various angles, um, making sure that I'm not open or vulnerable, um, being in that space of uh, being constantly, perpetually aware of every aspect of my world. That's good. That's so well said. So, so guarded, cautious, nervous. Just, we'll be coming back to this actually in a few weeks, but, uh, you know, in another sermon. But, but that's what happens. We kind of contract, mm-hmm. right? We contract. We move out of relationship. Guarded, nervous. You know, those are great words. We kind of like pull in the, we drop the, the moat. Well, we fill the moat. We drop the drawbridge. Close uh, all the curtains. Close all the curtains. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Please raise your hand if that you identify with that, right? You know, that's what we do, right? And, and that's the way our life becomes. And then what happens is we reach out, we find all the evidence that keeps on reinforcing that. Mm-hmm. So the last question, who would I be without that thought? So if you got, got away from the thought that you're, you're you know, constantly suppressed, that you needed to be guarded, you needed to be nervous, you needed to draw the currents that you said, who would you be without that thought? Significantly less stressed. Yeah. Um, I'd be open, um, possibly open to new thoughts, um, vulnerable. Um, in that vulnerable space, hopefully good things would come from it, but vulnerable, which is a scary space. Yeah. Um, I would be um, collaborative, I mm. guess, um, and less guarded, more likely to hand off things that are currently burying me um, because I wouldn't be afraid that they would get wicked away or, or claimed. Um, and so generally happier and probably healthier. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Folks, give her a round of applause. Rebecca, that was phenomenal. Perfect. Perfect. So isn't that, that was just fascinating. Rebecca did a great job there. And again, we didn't practice that. That was totally spontaneous. Can, can you see, folks, and please all say yes to this, even if you didn't see it. Could you see the rethinking there? Yes. Could you see metanoia? Yes. Just, it, and it's at a superficial level. But, but you can see how the shift goes from being guarded, the walls up, the blinds closed, to embracing this openness. And I love the word Rebecca used there, Vulnerable. Open and vulnerable. Because it, it, it's important to say that, you know, as, as we make those shifts, it's, it's not that, um, that, that somehow we find invulnerability there. I, I don't know that we do by the time we get to the fourth question. But it does sort of put in our brain, like, there might be a different way to see this. Is it true? Do I absolutely know that it's true? What am I if I believe that truth? What am I if I get rid of it? Good questions to ask. 
And again, if you're part of a small group, if you're going into the drop-in small group, this would be a great activity just to do. Like get in your small group, pair up, what's the thing you're wrestling with, and run through the four questions. Because it really will start to get you to rethink a bit. So we have that challenge at the lighter level. Now you have a tool that hopefully you can use to, to help improve your relationships. And now it's time to shift into a heavier level. I wouldn't want to do this with someone who had lost somebody tragically. I wouldn't want to do that. That would be totally inappropriate. Because I think that there's, there's sort of a call here for a deeper understanding of forgiveness, using maybe some pieces of metanoia, but trying to come to a, to a, to a deeper form of metanoia, a deeper form of rethinking how the world works. As I was saying, you know, with the Bible, one of the things that's just, just, I think, genius about the Bible, and it gets lost because the language is arguably so archaic, is that these are stories that we can look back on and go, oh yeah, these stories actually have application for today. The first time in the Bible where a quote-unquote murder happens, I'm not going to go into all the depth of the story, I'd love to actually preach on it sometime, First two people, if you're not familiar with this, I'll just run through it real quickly. First two people God created according to the Bible, which New Church sees as figurative. We're talking poetic truth, not literal truth. Were Adam and Eve. They had two sons, Cain and Abel. Two sons, Cain and Abel. What happens in the story is that Cain gets jealous of his brother Abel, knocks him off. And because of that, God's like, all right, I'm going to put a mark on you. That's this quote here. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance. Say the word there. Will suffer vengeance seven. Seven's going to be important to hold on to. Seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So this one brother knocks off the other brother. God says, nope, no one's to kill this person in revenge. It's not to be vengeance. I'm going to put a mark on him, think a tattoo, that's going to kind of get people square on that. And that the idea that, that, you know, if you did that, you were going to suffer vengeance seven times, seven times over. Now, what was that mark about? New Church, we hold these Bible stories very poetically. And what we believe that mark means, and it's a mark we all should carry, is the mark that love is the primary command. I want to be really clear about that. That love is the primary command. Now, that may sound strange. Why would this guy kill his brother? Why would he have a mark that said love is the primary command, you know, sort of representing that? Well, I think of that kind of, you know, in our own heads. Like, we have that part that can become so enraged, not necessarily literally murderous, but maybe figuratively murderous. I think a lot of us have felt that way. And we need to constantly carry a mark that says, nope, keep remembering that love is the primary command. That love is the primary command. Quick quiz for you. How easy is that to do? Is that easy? No! Can we all say no together? Yeah. No, like there's no way that's easy. It sounds simple, like I'll just forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. That sounds really easy, uh, but, it's, but it's not. This actually takes work. 
One of the fascinating things when you study the Bible too is that you have the Old Testament, which was before Jesus was born. You have the New Testament, which is from Jesus' birth on. And Jesus is always assuming that people knew the Old Testament in ways that we just don't today. So can you guess what number is going to show up again in this next story? Take a guess, take a guess, take a guess. Seven, very good, what a bright audience. You know, seven, seven's gonna show up again. Seven's gonna show up again in a story about forgiveness. And it's a very short, it's, it's just a short little piece, but it so encapsulates the Christian view of forgiveness. And it's this story. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Again, going back to that idea of of Cain and Abel and seven and seven being important and you were supposed to do that or else vengeance seven times over. So you're supposed to forgive seven times. And Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but seven. Now, some translations will say seven times seven. The double seven, that's what's significant. The double seven gets us to understand the real depth of this. As the band comes out, as the band comes out, I want you to think about this line. I want you to think about what does it actually really mean to keep coming back to forgiveness 77 times? Because 77 times I'm going to come up with a story about why I can't forgive, why it's impossible to forgive. I need to try new stories, a new way of repenting, a new way of rethinking. And if God is saying it 77 times, folks, he's saying it isn't easy. He's saying you're not going to do it overnight. But he's saying what we want to value in all forms of forgiveness in all forms of forgiveness, is progress, not perfection. The number seven, whether you look at this Bible passage, you see it translated as 77 times or seven times seven, it's, it's got two sevens in there. What that means, simply put, what's holy, what's without end, what's sacred. Holy, without end, What's sacred? And, and it's interesting, right? Because it's, it's such a big number. I think what Christ is trying to tell us is, is that this is a process. It is a process that is holy. Not some easy product where it's kind of, of one and done. I, I had a, a dear friend talking about like the phrase forgive and forget. And, and, and uh, uh, they said, you know, the, the problem with, with the people I know is that, yeah, you know what? They're really good at forgiving not forgiving, they kind of drop that and they just forget it all. You know, they don't actually do the work. So it's just about to forget. But I feel like this is talking about a a process, a process here that is indeed deeply, deeply holy, eternal. In other words, something that we come back to again and again and again. And so if it's this process, and if it's something that we wrestle with, How can we hold the wrestling in ways that don't lead us to become cynics or to despair in such a way that we just want to crawl up in our own little hole and forget the rest of the world? A little digression here, but a short one. Cynicism might just be the enemy here. 
And the problem with cynical thought, and all us cynics, raise your hand. The problem with cynical thought is this. Cynicism believes it's the only way to describe the world. Does that sound like metanoia to you? (laughs) No, it's not metanoia at all. It's an assurity and a certainty that, oh, this is just the way the world works. It's just crazy, you know, I'm bugging out. So we have to be able to see this process. We have to be able to see it in in a way that is holy, in a way that really does honor the human experience that we're all traveling through together. And at the same time, keeping a light going, keeping unwavering hope in our hearts as we confront the inevitable darkness that we do in this life. So I want to talk about that for a minute. So the story of Easter, I'm jumping way ahead to Easter to April, all right? We're going to skip winter this year. Easter, um, and again, not, not very few of you would know this, and that's totally fine. It's sort of pastor geekdom stuff. So, so there's this thing called the seven sayings of Christ. So he's on the cross at Easter, getting crucified, and he says seven different things. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Two of those things are pivots, are absolute pivots, upon which Christianity rests. Two of those are pivots upon which Christianity rests. The first one of those pivots, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? One of my favorite theologians of all time, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, was in the plot to kill Hitler. Those of you who have seen the movie Valkyrie, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was part of that. Actually, some of his relatives come here to church on occasion. Uh, He ends up dying in a concentration camp. Fascinating. He said this line is what enabled him to be a Christian. God can honor that. Even that low point. That he realized Christianity was the faith for him. Interesting, right? So what I want to do is I want to talk about two statements. I'm going to give you the second one here in a sec. I want to talk about the statement. I want to show you a picture. And then I'm going to come out in the audience. So it asks for just one or two people to share. So we have this statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then we have a picture, right? A picture from the event. How does this question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How does it show up for you when events like Las Vegas happen? All right, and don't, it doesn't have to be a terribly big thought. Just, just this kind of event happens, and, you know, there's sort of this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like, how does that show up for you when events like Las Vegas happens? I'm just going to ask for a couple of people to raise your hand. So if you raise your hand, that would be great, and I will be around with the microphone. Anyone brave enough to share how it might show up? Yes, I I just have a lot of trouble understanding how it's part of providence or the plan. A lot of challenges with how is this part of providence? How is this part of the plan? Right? How is it part of it? Someone else want to share? I just feel like, you know, here here it goes again. That piece of here it goes again. 
I know for, yeah. I was going to say, it could have been me. Yeah. You know, the beauty of that song, right? Like, it could have been, it could have been me. You know, it could have been me. I know what I wrestle with, for me, where I feel a lot of despair is like, what, you know, humanity, like, this is nutty. This is nutty. Like, I like to think good of other people. And yet this makes me feel like I can't think good of anybody. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the narrative shifts. Like, folks, I can't tell you how important this is to be able to do. That statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's in the story because guess what? Whose story is it part of? Ours. It is part of our story, feeling like God has forsaken us in our journey of life. How how many of us have had at least one of those moments? (laughs) You know? We just, we have. We've had those moments. And now look at the flip. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I want to just draw a couple of comparisons here, and then we're going to do that same thing. So notice the word father. So so the first phrase, my God, my God, is kind of God up there. This is the word father, and actually the translation should be daddy. This deep term endearment, like, like dad. You know, forgive them. So this movement away from what is happening to me, this move, listen, this is so big. This movement away from what is happening to me and this movement towards them. Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. One is a statement, is a, is a statement. The other is a question. It's a question of despair. So when we look at this, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then we look at some of the pictures that we saw like this. This was a blood bank line that, that, that went for five hours <laughs> until you could give blood. Pretty amazing, right? So when you look at this and you think about that, Father, forgive them. And, and again, like the word forgiveness means you are forgiving be that blood, money, whatever it might be, you are forgiving. What comes to your mind? I'm just going to ask for one or two people. What comes to your mind when you start to see this kind of picture and to hear these kinds of stories? Guess just if one or two people could answer, that'd be great. Unity. That idea of unity, that idea of the, the creation, that idea from Mother Teresa that we will have peace when we remember we belong to each other. What's another one? Well, <clears throat> one person wrecked havoc, but the response was from myriads of people. And that, so you can despair about that one person, but the but the love was so much greater. The love is so much greater. Jenny? I'm just always so blown away by the numbers of people that come out in situations like this and think, I have to go give blood, or I have to load up my truck with water and take it down to Texas, or that they just are called to that and answer it. 
Yeah, and it's what I love about it, it's like a secret dog whistle. Like we just we just hear it and it's like sign me up. I was just gonna say that there is hope and there is good in the world. Yes, there is hope in the world. And that idea of hope and goodwill so important. Hope, 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 hope. Hope is this. Please remember we've said it a bunch of times. Hope is love stretching into the future. Despite what we're constantly being shown about the state of our humanity, this is the reality of humanity. This is the reality of that God is everywhere. That's it. That is the statement of reality. Oh, here we go, our expert. There's more good in the world than bad. Amen, sister. Give me a high five on that one. Give her a round of applause, folks. Did you just go through a repentance experience with that exercise? (laughs) Did you? Yeah. A rethinking, a recasting, a way to maybe hold it a little differently. I want to come back to what Marcus said there too. Remember I said the problem with the cynic, a cynic believes that all that negative stuff, it's the only possible explanation for the world. It's the only way to say what reality actually is. That second phrase from Christ on the cross says there's actually a different reality. A very different reality. Believe in spite of the evidence and watch the evidence change. Believe in spite of the evidence and watch the evidence change. I think we're asked with this then to kind of start to hold things together that may, have, may feel deeply divided at first. And we have to understand that there's this process. There's this seven times seven. There's this process we go to where we end up at this beautiful place where we understand there's far more good than evil. We don't necessarily start there. But that's where God can start to move us. And this is really important. Folks, can we say these three words really loud? Ready? Doubt and forgiveness. My two cents were asked to hold both. Doubt. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. We're asked to hold both. We're asked to live in both. That's not a simple place to leave. Some people are more challenged with the forgiveness side of things. Some people are more challenged giving up their doubts. But I feel like we're asked to hold both. When we hold both, that's what compassion is. Calm with, passion, suffering. Compassion means we're able to suffer with, and we're able to hold both those two tensions one and the same. And then we're able to get a new view of God. And the new view of God is this, this next slide. God is not in the, say the T word there. God is not in the test. God is in the choice. A certain, this is me being small. So I'm going to be 12 years old for a second here. A certain televangelist who shall remain nameless 
got a lot of press because he said that this madman was sort of unleashed on America by God to test America because we're so wayward. That's just not true. I can respect a lot of opinions. I can tell you that's not true. And it's a very dangerous way to hold God. God is not into testing. New Church says really clearly, God tests no one. We do test ourselves. We fall short. We give in to all kinds of things. But that's our test. That's not God testing us. God is one. This unity of love throughout the world. God is in the choice, though. As I'm sitting between these two things, I can choose. I really do believe that's how God sets up consciousness. Is he he kind of allows for these experiences, not, not wishes them or wills them, but, but from permission, like to because people are free, they do happen. And we kind of get set into these, this place, and then we get to choose in between. A story from NPR. A father and a daughter in Las Vegas at that concert. Both of them emergency services workers. The father's first concern as the shots are ringing out is to quickly find his daughter, which he does. And she's unharmed. And then they go around in this story in NPR and they're starting to serve other people. They're starting to make a choice. And as anybody does in triage, you know those people you can help. And you know those people who you can't, who are passing on. And the story is they're going around, they come to this one man who's obviously passing on. And this guy knows it. What he does is he waves them away. Waves them away. so that they could help people who could be helped. That's an angel. That's the choice. That's where God is. That's where in some way, 70 times seven forgiveness lies and maybe we can start to think about that process in creating worlds that are kinder, that are gentler, and that are forgiving. That part, folks, is big. That's why Christianity is such a rich faith. Because it pulls us into that place where we can make those choices. Places where we can learn, as Emmanuel Swedenborg would say, to embody goodwill and faith. And to bring healing into a world that needs it. Could we all say amen together? Amen. So we're now going to close the service with a prayer. You have your opportunity to say the Lord's Prayer as you know it, to have your own silent prayer, or to just simply have a moment of quiet reflection as we think about forgiveness and we think about this journey. So please join me. Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. And Lord, help us to find ways as best we can 
to open ourselves seven times, seven times seven, 77 times to this process known as forgiveness. Knowing, Lord, acknowledging that in some days it is achingly hard and some days the best we can do with forgiveness is just to forgive ourselves that we can't forgive at that moment. But allow us, Lord, to step into that stream as best we can with the tools you've given us, again, to bring healing to this world. Thank you for your presence here today. Let us go out of here, Lord beacons in some way of this, of hope. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 